Well, hey, good morning, church family. It's good to see you guys. Good to be with you. Hope you're enjoying the cooler temperatures out there. Hey, if you are new with us, uh, I just want to welcome you to church. Uh, my name is Joe Polino, and I have the, the joy, the honor to get to serve as the lead pastor here uh, at this awesome church. And I'm uh, just excited to be with you guys this morning. How are we doing? All right. Awesome. Uh, we we'll love that sunshine coming through the window and just getting to see your faces and getting to worship together. Um, like I said, if you're new with us, uh, we are in a series or a practice called Love One Another. Love One Another. And actually, uh, we uh, have been uh, praying all year long since the beginning of February. God, would you make us one as a church? Would you make us one with you? Would you make us one with one another so that the world would know who Jesus is? It's actually our paraphrase of what Jesus prayed for his church in John 17, that we would be one with God and one with one another so that the world would know who Jesus is. And as we've been going through the book of Ephesians throughout this year, uh, there's a lot of instruction on how we can grow in our uh, relationship with God, but also how we can grow in our love for one another. Uh, Jesus said in John uh, 13, 34, he said, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So if repetition is how we learn, we hear over and over and over again in that, in those two verses, love one another, right? And that we love because he first loved us. But how do we actually love one another in our everyday life? How do we put this into practice? And so that's why we're doing a five-week practice that will lean into loving one another. And the way we're doing that is we have a different relational value of Jesus we're focusing on every week. So in week one, we said, if we're going to love one another like Jesus, we need to be in relationship with Jesus. We looked at John 15 and how we need to be branches connected to a vine and that we can't expect to love other people like Jesus any more than we would expect a grape to grow that's detached from the, the vine, right? So we need to be in connection and relationship with Jesus. And as we're connected to Jesus, as we're in relationship with him, we're going to also be humble and gentle of heart. So Donnie Tapey did a great job of doing that in week two. And then last week, we did be honest and honoring which I really enjoyed because I got to honor a few people up here and throughout the week was honoring people. And we looked at Romans 12, verses nine through 10, which says, let your love be genuine or let it be honest. And then let's outdo one another in showing honor. How many of you guys had fun last week outdoing other people and showing honor in your life groups? Did you guys honor anybody? A few people? It's okay. You can talk in church. It's all right. It's good. It was a lot of fun for us because it's so different than the world where we're always looking at, okay, how can I, I don't know, worry about myself. When you're out doing one another in honor, you're placing the value on, wow, you're made in the image of God. You're a part of the body of Christ and we get to look up and honor other people. It's actually how we're made to thrive, the life of God coming to the church. So then today is week four, which is be eager 
to maintain the unity of the Spirit. That's what we're going to go into today. Uh, and as I was studying and preparing and praying, I've got, God, what do you have for us as a church in, on this verse? I kept thinking about uh, when I first learned how to ski, to snow ski. Got any snow skiers or snowboarders in the house? Okay, we got some hands raised. I did not grow up in a skiing or snowboarding family, um, but I did have a few friends that were regular Texans who would invade Colorado once a year. And so, yeah, so they would invite me to come with them. They were very generous. And I basically was an adopted uh, son of this family whenever I would get to go. So uh, it, was a, it was a privilege because they would pay for my meals. They would, uh, you know, put me up in this very nice hotel room. And I would just be a part of their family, which was amazing. It was so generous. I was very thankful. But then we got to the mountain. And I thought, you know what? I'm a pretty coordinated person. Like I really, I play a lot of sports, feel like I'm pretty coordinated. How hard could this be? Well, it was very hard. And uh, I learned if you try to fight the mountain, the mountain always wins. And so on each of these two trips, I really enjoyed being with this family. I enjoyed going, but like as I was trying to catch up with my friend who was an expert in snowboarding, man, I just called it falling down the mountain basically for three days straight. I just fell down the mountain and he, he was patient with me for a little bit, you know, kind of on the greens and on the bunny slopes. But by the end, he was like, hey, bro, I'm going up there. You can come or not. And so I wasn't going to be, you know, I wasn't going to be a chicken. So I went up there with him and I just fell down double black diamonds, got caught in moguls. It was awful. So that was my experience of snowboarding. Yeah, so that was, that was uh, that's not actually me, I have to be honest, but that's more the type of experience that I felt like it was. And so it was like, hey, you know, just maybe uh, snowboarding is not my thing. Um, but in college, I was invited to yet another ski trip. And I said, okay, I got to change up my strategy this time. I'm going to exchange my snowboard for skis, but here's the key. I'm actually going to go get lessons. I'm going to go get lessons. And so Yet again, my other friends, I don't know how I missed the, the skiing you know, train or whatever, but uh, they all knew what they were doing, but I didn't. So as they went up double black diamonds and down the bowls and whatever else they did up there, I was with five-year-olds and seven-year-olds learning the pizza wedge and the French fry. And it was a humbling experience. But as I was learning with these kids, uh, I was learning how to actually navigate uh, and keep my balance on the mountain to the point where uh, I could do ski lifts and uh, bunny slopes and blues in a way that I could actually enjoy it. And I was like, hey, maybe, maybe there's something to this skiing thing. So why do I share that? As I, as I was thinking about this being eager to maintain the unity of the spirit, I feel like some of us in the church can feel like we're invited into this amazing family experience where the grace of God, the love of God is real. We believe Jesus is who he says he is in the scripture and that we have given the whole, we've been given the Holy Spirit and then we join the family of God. We join it at a church and it's amazing, but we don't get some basic instruction of what happens when things get difficult. What happens when there's actually relational conflict within the church? And it can feel like I got invited to this amazing trip, but I feel like I'm falling on my face over and over again. And so you could do what I almost did with snowboarding and skiing and just feel like, you know what? Looks like this is for other people, but not for me. 
I'm just going to, I'm going to step back. It'll just be me and God. You know, I'm going to stay in the ski lodge. I'm not going to go out on the slopes, if you will. And I just feel like that is not God's heart. And that I don't feel like that is not God's heart for us as the church. That's not his heart. He didn't adopt us into his family and just leave us without instructions of how to walk with him, become like him and help others follow him together in community. And so that's what we're going through this Love One Another series because the, the Holy Spirit is a really good teacher. He's a much better teacher than the ski instructor I had that helped me out in the basics. And I'd be like, as we come to the word of God today, just have that image of coming and maybe humbling yourself even. This might be something that you've heard before, but just, hey, maybe I just need to get a review in the basics. Okay, how can we love one another well? How can we be eager to maintain the unity of spirit and the bond of peace? So you guys ready to go? Okay, we're ready or not, we're going. So here we go. Here's where we're gonna, here's what we're gonna see in Ephesians 4 that we're about to read. We can become a church family who is eager to maintain the unity of the spirit by practicing these three things, having a posture of unity, having a plan for unity, and then just having our palms up. So having a posture, having a plan, and then just having our palms up. So those are my three points. If you're going along, taking notes, we're gonna be in Ephesians 4, Verses one through seven, it'll be on the screen for you to follow along with me. So verse one of Ephesians four says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So Father, thank you for your instruction. Thank you for your gift. And Lord, I'm asking, God, would you come and teach us Holy Spirit, more and more of who we are and how we can love one another. Would you teach us how to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so number one, we have the posture of unity. So let's go back and reread verses one through three. It says in verse one again, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So what's going on here in these three verses? Well, remember the apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus from prison. He's actually in a Roman prison because he refuses to stop teaching and preaching the name of Jesus. And so he gets put in the prison. And I just think it's striking that instead of complaining or asking for help or please send whatever, you know, food that you don't get in prison, he's writing letters to encourage the churches that are still encouraging the churches today. And it's just amazing to me that this letter uh, is, is just, yeah, just the, the context of what it was written. So that's why Paul says, a prisoner for the Lord. I'm a prisoner for the Lord. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've received. 
And I don't have, we don't have time this morning to go back over what is he talking about because it's chapters one through three. And we have spent February till now going over what does that mean, this one, this calling? What is this calling that he's called us to? He says, oh, the, the, in, in God's plan that he, God the Father, has chosen you, that in God the Son, you have been redeemed and forgiven by the blood of Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit has sealed you, and that the Jew and Gentile, the slave and the free, male and female, that we are being created into one new humanity, that that is what God is up to. God is up to bringing unity. He's bringing his children home, that in Christ, that the angels and the spiritual realms have longed to look into what is God up to? This is what you've been called to. This is amazing. This is who I am. And I'm revealing myself through the church. So in light of this great calling that we've received, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of it. So what does a worthy life look like to follow Jesus? Well, the very top of the list is to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, honestly, as I was studying this and thinking about that, if you were to ask me just my, my thoughts, what's the most important thing? I would probably have said something in relation to loving God, which is true. Jesus did say the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul and strength. The second is like it, to love your neighbor's, neighbor as yourself. But then he said in John 13, a new command I give to you, that just as I have loved you, love one another. And so there's a unity that God is bringing about that's so important, he puts it at the top of the list. Man, so our posture that we wanna have to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord is to be ready, to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. I also just want to point out that it's very important that it, that it says here, notice it does not say be eager to create unity of the Spirit. It doesn't say that we're going to create unity of the Spirit. It says to maintain unity of the Spirit, which is just amazing because as we said before, because God loved us first, we love Him back. And so there's this amazing thing that God, through the Holy Spirit, He makes us one. When we come to Christ, we each receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is what it says in Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. It says, and you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation when you believed. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is incredible. It says that the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you and me and is a seal marking us just when we believe. So God made the way for us to believe through Jesus. He gives us the free gift of salvation, of the Holy Spirit. And then as we receive it, he marks us with a seal, says you're mine. And I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit also as a down payment, just a foretaste of what's to come, of relationship with me a foretaste of heaven, a foretaste of seeing Jesus face to face. Isn't that incredible? That, that is something that is amazing. And so we don't create the unity of the Spirit. When we believe, we are put into the unity of the Spirit. 
And it says, as we, as we believe, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And we read it just a moment ago in Ephesians uh, verses five, it says there's one body and there's one spirit. And then it goes on to say five other one statements, that there's one Lord, one baptism, one hope, one God and Father of all. And so we are, because God in himself is unified, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that when we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, we get to step into that unity. We get to step into, God is not divided in himself. When sin entered into the world, Satan is also uh, called the, the, the father of lies or the splinterer. He splinters, sin splinters our union even with ourself. You know, is this, is this what I, I want to I do this, but this is what I want. Sin splinters, it splinters relationship with one another and it splinters relationship with God. And God has come to make a way to unite us in relationship with him and with one another. Isn't that beautiful? That's the good news of the gospel. That's why he's come. And so it says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, that, that this salvation, again, we didn't create it. We received it for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. This is God's doing. This is his show. This is what he is the initiator. And he's the one that is, uh, that is giving us our, our forgiveness and our, he's making the way. We're just simply saying, yes, I want that. And isn't that amazing? It's such a good Reminder, but there is something else here. It says, if you keep reading in Ephesians 2.10, it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we don't create this unity. We don't save ourselves, but God does save us, but he gives us a purpose. He gives us a purpose. We were created for good works. And in the past, when I've read this verse, Ephesians 2.10, I've thought in like an individualist mindset of like, what are the good works for me to do? God, how have you made Joe? Like, what are my gifts? What are my callings? What are the good works you prepared me to do? And I think there, that's, that's okay. But I, in studying this, I actually believe the greatest work for me to do is actually a, a something not just for me, but it's a we it's actually at the top of the list is that we are to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That's the greatest work of your life as a follower of Jesus. Do you believe that? That's a high calling. But if we don't maintain the unity of the spirit, man, then we aren't going to be the light and salt that God's called us to be, right? So we want to shine brighter. So we want to be eager to maintain unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. But how do we do this? Uh, just going back to that ski analogy, what's our posture? We want to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. When I was learning to ski in that, uh, that entry level course, one of the things that I would do is I would have a tendency as I went down the hill to lean away from going downhill. I would lean back on my skis, almost like I was preemptively trying to soften my landing, right? And then other people would be like so, uh, so aggressive, they would be in and over their skis and they would fall that way. But we want to be eager to maintain unity of the spirit as our posture, because each of us have our own personality, 
our own family of origin, that whenever there was conflict that happened, there's a certain way that our family trained us to respond, and there's certain uh, tendencies that we have. You know, in, uh, uh, it's fight or flight, right? So if there's a stressful situation that happens, you probably have a tendency to either fight the threat in front of you, meaning if, if you feel like something about you close to you is threatened, or you feel like you are being attacked, you are going to engage maybe with a battle of words, maybe with arguments, maybe you're going to enter in. So that's your tendency is that you were not going to shy away. You're going to be over your skis. Does that make sense? Okay. And that is when you are, uh, you don't, you're not a peacemaker. You are a peace breaker. So you are going to defend yourself to the point of winning the argument, but oftentimes at cost of the relationship or at cost of unity of the spirit. So you just have to be aware, that's my tendency. Now for me, I'm not a peace breaker. I would fall back on my skis and be more of the peace faker. Okay. So that's more like, okay, I see that as a unsafe environment. I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to go do something else and I'm going to retreat from that situation. And that is the peace faking. That's the flight. And that also will not end well for us if that's where we go, because then our love is not genuine. It'll come out in other ways. And oftentimes I would try to avoid it and it would like come up like a volcano. And then I would be on the other end. And so right in the middle, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. We want to be peacemakers. Right in the middle is that when we feel that tendency that we want to fall back and, and shy away from conflict, when we know that there is, we need to engage with our brother and sister, we got to remember, okay, be eager. Okay, so get on the balls of my feet. Get, on, get ready. Be eager. This is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. This is an opportunity for God to show up. Be eager. But then if there's something that you're like, you're more in, inclined to, uh, to really, you know, I, I want to I have people be honest. I want to stir things up. Like, but is that really producing unity of the spirit or are we just venting to one another? If it's not producing unity of the spirit, we need to pull back. We need to say, God, what are you doing right now? How am I honoring this person in the moment? Does that make sense of the posture? So you kind of, there's this balance of you don't want to retreat, but you also don't want to be in over your skis. So that's the posture of unity. So that was really helpful when I was learning how to ski. But if that's all I got, and he said, okay, go up on the list, on the lift and just come down the mountain and just don't go too far forward. Don't go too far back. Good luck. Uh, that would not be very helpful. Um, so there were other things that we have that I needed in order to, to navigate the mountain. And similarly, the scripture has a lot to say about navigating relationships. So next, we're going to go to the plan, the plan for unity. So there's the posture. What is the plan for unity? Um, you know, when I was first coming to follow Jesus, uh, it was the first time that, well, as a kid, I accepted the Lord when I was young, but it wasn't until later that my friends and my faith kind of joined together. And so it was like this uh, honeymoon phase, if you will, in college where it was just, oh, this is awesome. I was having a great time. My best friends were going to church. 
we were having a lot of fun and we were learning about the Lord and uh, man, it was just a great time. And we were also living together in the same house, uh, all nine of us. Uh, it's crazy. Um, great rent, uh, but a uh, messy, messy house. And so uh, things started to, tensions started to build as we realized that the cleanliness standard was different for different ones of us. Um, and so I remember a guy coming to me and like, hey, bro, you got a minute? And I said, sure. Uh, and he said, hey, you know, I've, we've kind of set as a house rule, hey, put your dishes up into the dishwasher, you know, when you're done. I just noticed you've been putting them in the sink a lot. Can you, can you follow through? That would really be a blessing to all of us. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I can do that. And then I was like, I kind of wanted to say, hey, bro, you got five minutes? I've got some other things that I could, I could say myself. It was like, you know, just this like, it was a little, little strike to my pride, a little bit of like, all right, all right. Um, and there were some of those situations that would come up. And then there was uh, some of those kind of uh, went uh, over into when I was uh, newly married with my beautiful wife, Amy. And, you know, she would say things like, hey, honey, uh, when you say you're going to be home at five, but then you never are, it, it's hard for me to trust your word. So I love you. How can we work on that? It was just like, oh, just immediately there's all of these things that would rise up in me of like, do you know how hard I'm working? Do you know this? Do you know that? And there's like this relational tension that would just come up. And my tendency was to piece fake and just be like, you're right you know, and just kind of put it back. But then I'm kind of like, okay, where can I get out my notepad and I can have, hey, honey, you got a minute moment with her. You know, how can I do like the, the, the tick for tack thing? And then those are kind of funny, small examples. Those are kind of like the bunny slopes. But then I think you guys know there are situations where those tensions rise and you guys hit like, oh, this is like double black diamond fight right now where this is hitting on a nerve and, and we, we are trying to resolve this, but we are going round and round and round. Um, and uh, I've shared this example before, but I just want to walk through a plan that helped me. But uh, when we were in our first year of marriage, this piece faking uh, ended up uh, biting me because um, my wife, she was a teacher. And so she worked Monday through Friday and I worked for the church and my weekend was Friday and Saturday. So we just had Saturday together. And so Saturday was just this time where we can get quality time, but we're different people and we like different things. And so I was used to spending my Saturday a particular way and she was used to spending her Saturday a different way. So I thought I'd be a good husband and I would let her do her way, but I didn't tell her, hey, I'd like to do some other things. I just said, I'm gonna go your way. Well, this happened Saturday after Saturday after Saturday. And my wife is someone who wakes up early and her tank is full and she is wanting to get all of her chores and errands done in the morning and then relax on the back end. I'm the type of person on Saturday, I wake up, my battery is empty and I want to recharge the whole morning and just have no, uh, no constraints. I just, I want to mosey. I want to mosey to the coffee. I want to, you know, I just want to relax. So I was so frustrated because I felt like I was giving, 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 and it came out. I just said, honey, like, like I, I, I keep doing what you want to do, but you're not asking me what I want to do. And she was like, wait a second, this whole time, 
well, like you haven't said a word. Like, how am I supposed to know that this isn't something that, and then we kind of get into an argument back and forth. And she was like, well, what else have you been lying to me about? Did you marry me to be nice? And so we just kind of went, and I was like, oh, how could you say that? It's amazing. Like, sure, yes, I just married you to be nice. I've been lying this whole time. This has been miserable. You know, very sarcastic, snarky comments. So what happens when you hit the mogul of relational tension? What do you do? Here is a plan that has been my go-to. It's based on scripture. And so I gave you guys the handout. We're going to put this on the, on the website. But I just want to walk through in an in a abbreviated fashion that the, God's word is full of practical help for us whenever we encounter this. So it begins with, it's called the five G's of biblical peacemaking. It's from a, a book called Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. Uh, it's very helpful. But if you get in that situation, this has just been really helpful guardrails for me. Number one, in this situation, I'm fighting with my wife and we are needing to take a break. So my wife, I'm pretty sure this was uh, like around nine years ago, she went into the other room to watch Gilmore Girls. And I went into the other room and I folded laundry very angrily. And as we were doing that, just kind of in our different parts of the apartment, I was like, okay, I remember this, this framework of the five G's. Okay, so God, how can you be glorified in this conflict? And that question, I will tell you, will flip a situation on its head because you're getting oriented of like, God, there is an opportunity here for you to speak. There is an opportunity for, there, for you to be glorified. And actually this horrible situation that there are, there's something that you can do to bring about good in it. So it's just like, God, how can you be glorified in this situation? And then next is you're like, okay, God, I am wanting to lay down my agenda to bring you glory, whatever that looks like. Then I want to do the next thing, which is get the log out of my own eye. Get the log out of my own eye. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 3 through 5. He says, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So obviously a little Jesus humor in there. How can you take the sawdust, the speck out of someone else's eye when you have a giant tree in your eye? There's an assumption in that, that whenever you see that there's a problem in your relationship that we need to assume that we have a part to play in it. And it's actually our job to recognize first, what is that log? And so as I'm going through this example of like, okay, I think Amy overreacted. I think these things, I think blah, blah, blah. It's like, nope, I'm going to put that aside. What is my responsibility in this conflict? What is, how, 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 how do I need to keep the unity of the spirit? I need to own my part. What's my responsibility? And so obviously for me in this example, it was, I'm not being assertive in telling you what I want and, uh, and I'm not asking good enough questions. Uh, I am uh, breaking down trust because I'm internally frustrated and expecting you to read my mind. So that's, that's how it was for me. I was like, it's very humbling, but it's like, okay, that's what I can own. And then the next step is to gently restore Gently restore, where it says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, 
you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Ma'am, so here is where you turn the corner and be like, okay, what sin or transgression do I see this person walking in? How can I gently restore them? So in this, it's like, okay, when, when Amy did this, it made me feel this. When Amy wanted to do this on Saturday morning, it made me feel, and I'd fill in the blank. And so it helped me to just kind of tease out, okay, what, is there a sin that she did? Is there a transgression or is this just a disagreement? But it helps me walk through. And then when I'm able to, number four, go and be reconciled, when there's a time, it says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So when it's time, when I'm like, okay, if she is ready, I'd like to talk about this in a calm way. I go to her in a uh, spirit of gentleness and I own my part. I want to get the log out of my own eye. Honey, I was wrong for fill in the blank, which I'll just say, we learned this from Nancy Eisenberg in parenting our kids. It works great with adults too. If you say I was wrong for fill in the blank versus I am sorry for fill in the blank, just adds a little bit more of a uh, specific ownership to your part, you know? So I would say, honey, I was wrong for not being honest with you. Would you please forgive me? And I want for us to enjoy Saturdays together. Can you, and can you talk, can we talk about this in a calm way? Can you tell me what's going on in the spirit of gentleness to go and be reconciled? And then the last G is the gospel which is just no matter how this person responds, remembering, okay, how great is the love of Jesus and the grace of God for me? And if I want, if I'm thankful for that, how can I go and pass this on to this person? How can I view this person in light of the gospel? So I just say, this is like, it's not a formula to get where we want to go but I'll say this is like the pizza wedge and French fries when things are getting crazy. When I'm just like, okay, I don't know. I feel like I am, uh, like things are spinning and I'm going to go into fight or flight. If I get some time to breathe, they'll be like, okay, God, how can you be glorified in this situation? What, where are the eyes of faith that I can operate in? And it's like, okay, is there anything that I need to own to get the log out of my own eye? And it's like, okay, if I go to this person, am I honoring them? Am I being honest? Am I in a spirit of gentleness or am I still worked up? And then from there, it's like, okay, what does it look like to go and be reconciled? Is there someone I need to pull in to be a prayer partner? In Matthew 18, when I go, to one, when I go one to another, sometimes we need to bring in someone else to help mediate the situation. So I just say, this is so important, y'all. And, uh, and I don't want y'all to walk away with just, okay, Joe shared that example about his wife and you know, their, their, their tiff, their fight. But how do I do this? This is straight scripture that will help you have a plan for keeping the unity of the spirit. You guys with me? Okay. So I hope that's helpful. Something that you can take. Again, I'll put this on the website. But this last part, 
is really the, the part where if I'm just vulnerable with you guys um, is the part where I just didn't know how to put into a ski analogy because all the things I've just communicated are things that we can do. You know, it says in Ephesians 4, 3, in the, in the NIV version, it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Same meaning as be eager, but it just kind of was like, make every effort. And I've just been in situations where I've desired for there to be reconciliation so much to the point that I've created a new category where I'm not a peace breaker or a peace faker, I'm, I'm trying to be a peace forcer or a peace fixer. And I'm trying to make every effort I can. And I'm like, just if I write this, the right kind of email or if I can uh, just word something in such a way or, or, you know, have you guys ever been there where you are in a relationship that you care about that's, that's that there's distance, there's discord. You're like, oh, I'm trying to do everything that I can. And this is where this last point just is like, we got to have our palms up and just opening our hands to the Lord and saying that unity didn't start with us and it's not going to be, it, we, can, we can do our part to maintain it. We also need to trust God to do what only he can do. And that we, can't, we can make every effort to maintain unity, but we don't want to fall into the trap are trying to force or make people a certain way or to fix them. Are you guys tracking with me on that? And there are times where in the body of Christ, like it says in Titus 3, 9 through 10, where there are people in our lives that they might say one thing, but they're not bringing about the spirit of unity. It says in, in Titus 3, there's an example of this, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and they're useless. Warn a divisive person once, then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. In other words, we want to make every effort to walk the road that we can with them of saying, hey, I've heard you. I don't think this is profitable. I don't think it's building unity of the spirit. We can agree to disagree. And if that's something that they're not able to let go of, then there's actually a place where we're not just walking away. We're saying, hey, this needs to stop. And we're gonna, you can't, we can't fellowship here if you're going to continue to be divisive. So there's actually a proactive nature to the unity of the spirit, right? But then here's the part that I feel like most of us fall into. It's Romans 12, 18. We'll begin in verse 17, where it says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And I'll just say this is... Um, it's a place where I know in this room and I know for me in my own life is a place where I've really met the Lord in really painful areas of entrusting, keeping my palms open to someone, of letting someone uh, go in a certain way in order to entrust them to the Lord, where I can't bring about, I've done all that I can, but there's still not a unity. For whatever reason, there's not a unity. And so I just feel like one of the things that I wanted to do to end our time
was to get this picture of how patient and how good and how long-suffering the Lord is with us. And to take, if you have relationships in your life where you're like, I, re- I relate to this, I need this message, or I'm at odds with a parent or a son or daughter or a sibling or a relative, I just want you to think about that relationship right now. Maybe it's a friend. Think about the relationship right now. And as you go through that, the five G's, maybe there is something that God would call you to do to make an effort. But let's just say at the end of all that, it's not there. Just in the midst of it, just to open your palms and to forgive this person, to bless them, and then to entrust entrust them to the Lord. And say, God, would you do what only you can do? And in Luke 15, there's this beautiful story called the prodigal son. It's actually the prodigal sons. There's the younger son and there's an older son that are both distant from the father. The older son is close to the father in proximity, but far in his heart. And the younger son uh, tells the father that I want nothing to do with you. Give me my inheritance now. And as if you were dead, and then he takes his inheritance, the father gives it to him. And then he goes off into a far country and he spends it on wild living. And I just know like the the wise father who loves his sons, he loves both of his sons, but he loves the younger son, knows probably what's going to happen when he gives this this money to his son. And he's looking, even if you imagine just looking at the road leading up to their house on the porch, and he's looking day after day with patient love. And he's saying, is my son going to come back today? Is the far country going to bring him to his senses and will he come back? And he's looking not with a I gotcha or I told you so, but he's looking with eyes of compassion. It says in Luke 15, 20, that the younger son, he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And so I want to close by having the worship team come on up. And I just want us to take some time as we are thinking about ourselves, but also our relationships in our lives to go to the Father, to go to the Father, go to the Father and say, Lord, these relationships in my life, I give over to you. Would you give me eyes of compassion? Would you give me your eyes to see this person and entrust them over to you? And if you look at the, the other handout, the love one another guide, if you look at the back, this is a simple way for us this week on your Monday, on your Tuesday, whenever it is, for me, it's in the morning, just to begin the day with simple worship of giving thanks to God for three, three things, singing a song of worship. And then we have some of the scriptures we went over listed out here for you to go through on being eager to maintain unity of the spirit. But then on this prayer part, I just want to highlight Going to the Father, the way Jesus taught his disciples to pray was our Father, our Father. And one of the ways that we can keep the unity of the Spirit is that when we pray, we pray to our Father, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And as we pray that prayer for ourselves, I also just put in some fill in the blanks that you would pray, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done 
in fill in the blanks life. So whoever that person is to you, God, Father, would your kingdom come and will be done in this person's life? Would you give them today daily bread? Would you forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us? Would you lead this person not into temptation, but deliver them from the evil one? And I just, I just know that even some of those situations, there's deep hurt, there's deep pain. I just believe God wants to bring a healing work. In fact, we were praying uh, ahead of time and uh, someone got a picture of there being this field and in the middle of this field with this giant crack. And this crack was being closed up and sealed up like a zipper, but it wasn't like a zipper. It was being sewn together by dark pink thread of love. Just getting this picture that that's what God's wanting to do today in people's hearts. That there's cracks in relationship with, uh, with, maybe it's with God, but maybe with one another. And that there's an opportunity for us to humble ourselves and to be eager to keep unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That we would have these situations that are hurtful actually be opportunities for God to be glorified. And that as we grow in this together, that we would be able to admonish and teach and, and, and be a culture, be a family of peacemakers, because that's what Jesus has called us to. So I just invite you to, to stand. I'm gonna pray and we're gonna have the prayer team come up there. If you need prayer for anything, maybe you need someone to partner with you in prayer for something that I'm talking about. Maybe it's physical healing. Maybe you're like, I would love to know more about Jesus. Say, why not? Why not come and get prayer this morning? So Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you are good. God, we thank you, God that you love us and that you are a good father. So we say, Father in heaven, holy is your name. God, would you help us to be eager to maintain unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.